0: is beautiful singing this morning. I understand why it pleases God. If you have your Bible with you, let's go to Genesis chapter 39 this morning. And as we continue in our Draw Near series, today we're going to take a look at Joseph and see how Joseph drew near to God through some difficult times in his life. And as you find your way to Genesis chapter 39, I think it's just evident to all of us that You know, drawing near to God is challenging enough when everything is going right. But when things go wrong and we get hurt and sometimes deeply hurt, those tend to be the most difficult times to draw near or to stay near to God. And Joseph provides for us an example of someone who continued to draw near to God in spite of his difficulties and his challenges. I want us to read the entire chapter of Genesis 39 this morning. It's 23 verses. But it's important that we get the full view of this this section of Joseph's life. Beginning in verse 1, Joseph was brought down to Egypt, and Potiphar, an officer of Pharaoh, captain of the guard, an Egyptian, bought him of the hands of the Ishmaelites, which had brought him down thither. And the Lord was with Joseph, and he was a prosperous man, and he was in the house of his master the Egyptian. And his master saw that the Lord was with him, and that the Lord made all that he did to prosper in his hand. And Joseph found grace in his sight, and he served him, and he made him overseer of his house, and all that he had he put into his hand. And it came to pass from The time that he had made him overseer in his house and over all that he had, that the Lord blessed the Egyptian's house for Joseph's sake. And the blessing of the Lord was upon all that he had in the house and in the field. And he left all that he had in Joseph's hand. And he knew not aught he had save the bread which he did eat. And Joseph was a goodly person and well favored. And it came to pass after these things that his master's wife cast her eyes upon Joseph and she said lie with me but he refused and said unto his master's wife behold my master watcheth not what is with me in the house and he hath committed all that he hath to my hand there is none greater in this house than I neither hath he kept back anything from me but thee because thou art his wife. And it came to pass when she saw that he had left his garment in her hand and was fled forth, that she called unto the men of her house and spake unto them, saying, See, he hath brought in a Hebrew unto us to mock us. He came in unto me to lie with me, and I cried with a loud voice. And it came to pass when he heard that I lifted up my voice and cried that he left his garment with me and fled and got him out. And she laid up his garment by her until his Lord came home. And she spake unto him according to these words, saying, The Hebrew servant which thou hast brought unto us came in unto me to mock me. And it came to pass, as I lifted up my voice and cried, that he left his garment with me and fled out. And it came to pass, when his master heard the words of his wife, which she spake unto him, saying, After this manner did thy servant to me, that his wrath was kindled. And Joseph's master took him and put him into the prison, a place where the king's prisoners were bound. And he was there in the prison. But the Lord was with Joseph and showed him mercy and gave him favor in the sight of the keeper of the prison. And the keeper of the prison committed to Joseph's hand all the prisoners that were in the prison and whatsoever they did there, he was the doer of it. The keeper of the prison looked not to anything that was under his hand because the Lord was with him and that which he did, the Lord made it to prosper. Let's pray. Oh Lord, we come to you as needy people today, hungry people for your word, desiring to be fed with your truth and nourished with your scripture. Lord, I pray that as I speak to the outer man today, that you would speak to the inner man. I pray that you would do that unseen work of convicting and convincing and calling and compelling Lord, I pray that we would uh, draw deep from the well of Scripture today and that we would satisfy our thirst for truth. And Lord, that we, through the lesson of Joseph, might learn how that we can draw near and stay near even in the most difficult circumstances of life. Lord, you know our frame, that it is but dust. You know our frailty. And so we pray and ask, Lord, that your Holy Spirit would energize us and enable us to be near to you each and every moment of each and every day. God, help me to deliver your word this morning with the authority that it has. In Jesus' name, amen. As we mentioned Joseph, he provides for us this example of someone who draws near to God, stays near to God through the most difficult and challenging times of life. He's not recoiled by what he goes through from God But it's as if he leans into it. He is unlike Abraham and Jacob in this respect. When we studied them, we knew that these men, these good men, these godly men, had these these moments in their life when they drifted away from God for a while. And they had to draw near again. And we thank God for that truth and that reality that when we do drift, we can draw near again. That it's not a one chance and when we blow it, it's over and we can never be near to God again. We we rejoice in the fact that, that there is this unlimited access to keep getting nearer to God even when we by our own choices have drawn away. But Joseph seems to stay near to God. And I would say through the most challenging circumstances of his life, when we read the narrative of Joseph's life from Genesis 37 to Genesis chapter 50, we are in the middle of the most challenging part of his life. Never before and never after has it been as bad as it is right now. And while I am thankful to God that we have the examples of Abraham and Jacob who teach us how to get back up after we've fallen and come back, I am encouraged to know that I can keep drawing near to God through the difficulties and disappointments of life. That it's not a foregone conclusion that I have to drift away or allow distance to come between me and God when the difficult times come. Joseph shows us that we do not have to let these things bring distance between us and God. We can remain faithful to God. And I believe that that's in the heart of every believer that when we receive this glorious gift of salvation through faith in Christ and we take inventory of what we have gotten by uh, God in Christ that we have this desire to be faithful to this one who has saved us and secured us. And the good news is that we can be faithful and we can draw ever nearer to him but the big question is how how did Joseph do it and how can I do it how can I do this how can I how can I face the greatest disappointments in life and not let it shake me from my position of closeness to God I find four factors in Joseph's life that enabled him to keep drawing near to God instead of being drawn away by the injuries and the injustices that he had suffered. Number one, Joseph had a relationship with God. I know, yawn, right? That, that's, that's how we hear things like that, unfortunately. Uh, we think, oh, sure, I know. We, we have a relationship, not a religion. I've said that to other people. I know what you're talking about. I, I've trusted Jesus. I have a relationship. But what I, I want to point out to you is that four times in this chapter, it says that Joseph, that God was with Joseph Four times it says it in verse 2, verse 3, verse 21, and verse 23 that God was with Joseph. God was with him in this difficult uh, time in his life. And let me tell you something. that, That is not accidental or incidental that that phrase is repeated four times in 23 verses. God is trying to get a point across to us. How did Joseph stay near to God? Because he had a relationship. With God. That was the foundation that he was able to stand on during this rocky time in life. And this is evidence of a real relationship with God. Not just a lip service relationship with God, not not just a cursory relationship, not just a superficial relationship, but a, a mutual relationship with God. You see, the fact is every born-again Christian could say God is with me because the Holy Spirit of God came to live inside of you. But there's more to the relationship than that, isn't there? And we know that there's more to the relationship with Joseph than just the fact that God hadn't forsaken him. I would liken it unto the relationship that Enoch had with God. Remember when we studied Enoch and it said that Enoch walked with God. It was this mutual relationship where Enoch was seeking God out daily in his life. And I believe that Joseph was seeking God out daily in his life. Now, I want to build a case this morning, and I, 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 want to, I want to say to you something that may be stunning, something that may sound like a, an oxymoron or a paradox. But before we think that we know the story of Joseph and are ready to, for the preacher to move on to something else, can I just ask you, is it a possibility that the loss of Joseph's other relationships may have contributed to the strength of his relationship with God. Where's he at? Well, the chapter begins by telling us that he's in Egypt. That's not where he's from. That Potiphar bought him as a slave from a group of Ishmaelites. And if you remember the story from chapter 37, Joseph's brothers devised a plan to betray Joseph, and they sold Joseph into slavery, and those slave traders took him down to Egypt and sold him to Potiphar. Joseph, we are told, in Genesis 37, was 17 years old. And so he is a teenager still at the beginning of this chapter, 17, 18, sometime around that time. And do you understand that every relationship he has had in his adolescent life has been severed from him? How would you? respond to that well i can tell you this i i know how most people respond to it and this is where joseph differs from most people that i've met Instead of allowing that great betrayal and that great tragedy of broken relationships to drive him further from God, he allowed it to drive him closer to God. Can I pick that out a little bit? How many people do you know who have been hurt by betrayal in a relationship that begin to blame God? And they begin to back off on their journey of faith because why would God allow that to happen? And how could he allow such bad things to happen in life? And these were people who were supposed to love me and care for me. How could they betray me like this? Do you not think that Joseph had some of those feelings? Could you imagine being a 17-year-old who has literally been sold into slavery and put on a wagon and shipped out never to see your family again by your brothers or sisters I dare say any of us has had that dramatic of a betrayal in our life and when we have been betrayed in those relationships the tendency is to blame them to blame God to get bitter to get angry to withdraw from those people and mostly from our relationship with the Lord But I can't help but think that it drove Joseph to God. Joseph was a Hebrew. Do you remember when his Hebrew brothers later come to Egypt some 20 years later? How they have to speak to Joseph. Does anybody remember how they communicate? Through a translator. So I've got to factor in that I don't think that Joseph spoke Egyptian when he went into Egypt. Egypt. So here's another element to the story. Not only has he been ripped, not only has he been betrayed by his brethren and ripped out of his family, now he is sent not into just a, a distant place, but he's sent into a, a distant culture where he doesn't know the language. I don't know if you've ever traveled outside of the United States of America and found yourself in a place where they didn't speak English But it is one of the loneliest experiences I've ever had in my life being in a country where I knew I couldn't communicate with the people around me unless I had a translator. And so I really believe that God took that in Joseph's life and he used it for Joseph to cling to him because you know who hadn't left him? God. You know who still spoke his language? God. Do you know who he could talk to when he couldn't talk to anybody else? God. Do you know who loved him when he didn't feel loved by anybody else? God. And Joseph, I believe, was strengthened in his relationship with God because of the severance of the relationships that he had. I know from my own experience that I have found this to some degree in my life. I've never said this in a sermon, but I've thought about it often and I've, even talked about with my wife as hurtful as it was for my dad to leave when I was seven years old I'm not sure that my life would have been better if he stayed in fact I'm not sure that I would have gotten saved and answered to call to preach if my dad hadn't severed that relationship when I was a little boy Because my dad was outspoken, opinionated against God. And he gave my mom grief all the time about her faith in Christ. And I could only imagine what impact that would have had on me had we stayed in the same home together. In another way, I think about when I got saved. I was dating a girl that I really liked when I got saved. In fact, the first time I went to church, I asked her to go with me. She went with me. But it wasn't long after I got saved that that old girl didn't want a Christian boyfriend, and she broke up with me. And it hurt at the time. I was young, and I liked her, and things were going well, but she wasn't signing up for all of that. And looking back, I just wonder, did God allow that? Did God use that to change the trajectory of, of my life would my story have been different if that had not happened and I know for a fact that it is because God gave me my wonderful wife Melissa and our three sons and he's allowed me to be in ministry today I'm just telling you that these things that happen to us in life these injuries these injustices were they wrong yes you can't justify what Joseph's brothers did But we can allow those broken relationships to bring us closer to God, not to push us further away. God is not to blame when relationships go bad. He's the only one who will never leave you or forsake you. Listen to these verses from the Psalms and take encouragement in this. I, I know that there's people in this room who've been hurt by uh, severed relationships. But listen, Psalm seventy three twenty five. Whom have I in heaven but thee? And there is none upon earth that I desire beside thee. Psalm twenty seventeen. When my father and my mother forsake me, then the Lord will take me up. Isaiah, speaking for God, says, Can a woman forget her nursing child that she should not have compassion on the son of her womb? Yea, they may forget, yet I will not forget thee. Behold, I have engraven thee upon the palms of my hands. And that's a much more powerful verse in light of the New Testament. Isaiah prophesied 700 years before Jesus lived and died. And it was no accident that when Jesus died, they pierced his hands and his feet and they nailed him to a cross. And the Bible says that he bears in his bodies the mark of his death. In Revelation, we see him as a lamb that was slain. The only earthly thing in heaven is the scars of Jesus. Why? Why? Because they are a perpetual testament to the relationship and the love that he has for you. And I'm telling you, when your relationships go bad, it's not God's fault. And it shouldn't cause you to back off. He ought to be the one that you run to. And I believe Joseph ran to him. Number two, second factor. Joseph had a revelation from God. Joseph had a revelation from God. God revealed some divine truth to Joseph back in chapter 37. Now, you've got to understand at this point in history, God's revelation is still progressive. He's giving it. He is giving it in installments. And it's coming some through Adam and some through Noah and some through Abraham and some through Joseph. And it's going to continue on like that until the Apostle John writes the last sentence of the last letter of the book of Revelation. And then the revelation is complete. And so God gives Joseph a divine revelation In Genesis 37, do you remember what it was? He dreamed a dream and that there were 12 stalks that uh, represented him and his brothers and that his brother's stalks bowed down to his stalk. And when he told them that, they were upset about that. And in case Joseph was having some doubt about what his dream was or if it was from God, God sent another dream to him uh, that he was a star and that his other 11 stars bowed down to him. And so did the sun and the moon representing his mother and his father and his 11 brethren. God gave Joseph a revelation. And this revelation that God gave Joseph built his faith in God. He has heard a word from God. He has seen a revelation from God. Not only did it do that, it reinforced God's love for him. God is telling him, I love you and I'm going to do something with you and Not least of all, it is revealing God's plan for His future glory. Joseph, I've got something in store for you in the future. It may not be seeable right now, but it is on my eternal calendar. And I am going to bring you into my glory. And can I say to you that God has given to us a revelation In fact, our revelation from God is more complete than Joseph's revelation. Joseph had a couple of dreams where God spoke to him in an allegoric form, but you and I have the inerrant word of God from Genesis 1 to Revelation chapter 22. We have the complete revelation of God. God has revealed to you and I everything that we need to know about him, about his love. And about his future plan for our glory. It's in there. It's in the revelation. It's called the Bible. And it gives us evidence of God. And it gives us evidence of his love. And it gives us evidence of his plan. I believe that Joseph focused on that revelation. I, I, can't, I can't get away from that. Even though it's not explicitly stated in the text, I can't help but think that this young Hebrew man who is stripped out of his homeland and away from his family and he's taken into a foreign land he's all by himself and he's trying to navigate and figure out why his God would do this. If they are the chosen people, if he's the heritage of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, why would God allow him to be sold down into Egypt? And he had to look back and say, What did the dream mean? What was that revelation? Was God just messing around with me? Was he getting my hopes up so that he could dash them down? Is that the type of God that he is? Or does God still have a plan and he's working the plan out for my life? I'm telling you, Joseph had a revelation from God. And I believe that it sustained him through the darkest days of his life. And I believe that it kept him on track in his faith he had a word from God he heard from God and can I tell you it will do the same for you and I if you and I will immerse ourselves in the revelation of God if we will focus on what God has revealed to us it will sustain us in the difficult days of life think about these few verses that talk about the revelation of God Psalm 119 verse 9 wherewithal shall a young man cleanse his way By taking heed thereto according to thy word. Hey, how am I going to clear my path? How am I going to make my way through life? How am I going to figure out how to get through all of this underbrush of sin and temptation? I'm going to do it by the word of God. Taking heed to it. Immersing myself in it. Allowing it to be my guide. Psalm 119 verse 11. Thy word have I hid in my heart that I might not sin against thee. How am I going to stay on track? How am I going to avoid temptation? How am I going to stay strong and faithful when it feels like my world is falling apart? Only if I have the word of God hidden in my heart. That's going to hold me up. That's going to give me the infrastructure that I need when I'm ready to collapse. That's going to strengthen me in the inner man when the outer man is about to faint. I am telling you the word of God has supernatural power and you and I neglect it to our own detriment. Psalm 119, verse 105 Thy word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. Gets dark sometimes, doesn't it? How am I going to find my way through the darkness? Only by taking heed to the revelation of God. I'm so glad that that was written in 1000 BC. And he didn't say, God's given me a spotlight. Because that's not how the Word of God works. He didn't illuminate the whole path. The lamp illuminates the next step. And as you take the next step, guess what? You've got light for the next one. And as you step into the light, there's light for the next one. It's a lamp. And if you and I decide that we're going to stay right here. Well, I don't know what's out there. It's dark outside of that light. I can't see what's in there. Then guess what? You are not drawing near to God. You have to step out into the light and step by faith. And as you do, the way is illuminated to draw nearer and nearer and nearer to God. Matthew 4, 4, Jesus said, Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceedeth out of the mouth of of god very few of us forget to go a 24-hour cycle without eating in fact fasting is one of the most neglected spiritual disciplines in the new testament our bodies are programmed to need this nourishment we need the protein We need the fats, we need the carbohydrates, we need the nutrients. I mean, this is the fuel that keeps our muscles going. This is what helps our brain function. We, everything in our body knows that our life and our livelihood depend upon eating. And so we don't go a day without it if we can help it. But how many of us are on an extended fast from the word of God? How many of us have let a lot of 24-hour cycles pass since we last ate of the spiritual bread of the Word of God? Let me tell you, friend, if you're malnourished spiritually and then you run into one of these difficult legs of the journey, it's going to wipe you out. It's going to cause you to fail. It's going to cause you to faint. It's not going to allow you to keep running the race at the same pace that you had. We need to stay in the Word and we need to stay near to God. The third factor is that Joseph had a resistance to temptation. Joseph had a resistance to temptation. Because of the relationship and the revelation of God, Joseph had some resistance to temptation. As we know, we just read the story, Potiphar's wife is, is trying to entice Joseph. She's trying to tempt Joseph. Uh, she wants him to do something that is immoral. And I would say to you, but behind Potiphar's wife, there's a devil. Satan is targeting this young single man with a proven weapon. But Joseph put up some resistance. He put up some Resistance. The Bible says in verse 7, 8, and 9 that she tempted him, that she asked him, that she used her words to invite him and to entice him. But he says there in verse 9, he says, How then can I do this great wickedness and sin against God? That's resistance to temptation. By the way, Resistance to sin is required to draw near to God. Can you hold your place right there in Genesis 39 and and go find James 4? James 4. We kicked off our year this year with a study of the book of James. We launched out from James 4, 8, that, that beautiful verse that says, Draw nigh to God, and He will... Draw nigh to you. And that's the promise that we have been clinging to. That's the promise we've been pursuing all year. We want to draw near to God and have God draw near to us. But can I invite you to back up and read James 4, 7, which precedes James 4, 8, and they go together? Submit yourselves to God. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. Draw nigh to God, and he will draw nigh to you. I say to you, we cannot draw nigh to God if we don't resist sin, if we don't resist temptation, if we don't resist the devil. If we put up no resistance against those temptations, those temptations are going to draw us away, James 1.14. But if we put up just a little bit of resistance... It's amazing. James says the devil will flee. He'll run away. And you and I will be able to draw near to God. Did not Jesus himself have to resist the devil in Matthew chapter 4 when he's in the wilderness and he's fasting for 40 days and the devil comes and tempts him not once, not twice, three times. And when Jesus, you know what Jesus uses as his secret weapon to resist the devil? He doesn't call down the angels of heaven. He doesn't lay down his God in the flesh card. Do you know what he does to combat the temptations of the devil? He quotes scripture he quotes from Deuteronomy. What is he doing? He's providing for you and I an example to understand that we can resist the devil and that if we are students of the Word, if we embrace the revelation of God, we've got the weapon of our warfare that we can fight and we can use our shield of faith to block the darts, and we can use our sword of the Spirit, the Word of God, to combat the temptations that the devil wants to bring our way. A few years ago, my son was in an elementary class where they thought it was a good idea to hatch eggs into chickens. I don't know if they do this at your school, but they did it at Atkins. And once those little eggs hatch into little chicks, they got to leave the school. They don't want them down there. Teacher doesn't want them. Principal doesn't want them. you know what they do? They tell those little kids, go home and ask mom and dad if you can have some chickens. It's manipulative. We were manipulated. Our son came home. Can we have some chickens? They've got 27 of them. We've got to do something. They don't have a home. Got to have them. Sure, we can take some chickens. Eight. Eight chickens. Four roosters. Four roosters do not get along together, we discover. I learned a lot about chicken psychology during our time in the chicken business. I'm glad to say that we are out of the chicken business. We've dissolved the company and dismantled the coop. We're chicken-free. But in that time that we were raising chickens, we learned that there were other animals that liked chickens besides humans. They like to eat them. And so we tried to build a cage around them, and they would climb over it. They would dig under it. They would find their way in. And sometimes in the middle of the night, we would hear chickens screaming. We would run out in our pajamas to try and chase away a raccoon or a possum or a skunk. One night, my wife hears the screams of the chicken, the hen, one of the hens, and she runs out, and the I can't remember if it was the raccoon or the possum, but it, it had the chicken down, and the chicken had just given up. It, it had seen the light, and it was moving towards it. My li- wife, in her motherly protective mode, ran out and kicked the varmint <laughs> off of the chicken. She did not know it could have climbed her leg and chewed her face. (laughs) And by God's grace, she was protected. And she picked up the little henny and brought it in the house and washed uh, her face and the cut that was there and put antibiotic ointment in it. And you know what happened? That chicken lived. It was not dead. But it had given up. And I just wonder how many of us act like chickens... When the old devil comes around. And when we see that roaring lion walking about seeking to devour us, we just fall down to his temptation. And we don't put up any resistance. Resist the devil and he will flee. Do you understand? That's as much of a promise you can bank on as the next verse, draw nigh to God and he will draw nigh to you. Joseph put up some resistance. And he was able to stay near to God. He wasn't drawn away from God into immorality. Fourth factor that I find in the life of Joseph is that Joseph had a recognition of the sovereignty of God. I know that that's a theological term that may make you uh, drowsy, but you and I need to understand something about the sovereignty of God. The sovereignty of God means that God is overruling the actions of men. Some people get this mixed up. And they think of it as a fatalism. Well, what's going to happen is happening. God's already decreed it. It's going to happen. Let me tell you something. God did not decree that Joseph's brothers would sell him into slavery. God did not decree. God did not make Potiphar's wife tempt Joseph. And when her temptations were rebuffed, he did not make her lie about Joseph so that Joseph's master would throw him into the prison. God did not make that happen. God gave some free will to individuals and sadly our free will is often controlled by our sin nature and we make decisions that hurt ourselves and hurt other people. The sovereignty of God, the doctrine of the sovereignty of God is that God is able to overrule the actions of those people. They might commit those actions. They might perpetrate those atrocities. But God in his sovereignty is able to overrule that and change the outcome. Listen to Joseph explain it in his own words. In Genesis chapter 45, he reveals himself to his brothers who had sold him into slavery. By this time, God has given him the position of prime minister in Egypt. He's in control of distributing all the food to the people who come seeking for bread. And he reveals himself to his brothers. And here's what he says he, he states his belief in the sovereignty of God. In Genesis 45, verse 4, Joseph said unto his brethren, Come near to me, I pray you. And they came near and he said, I am Joseph, your brother, whom ye sold into Egypt. Right? Where's the, where is he pointing for the blame of action? It is to those brothers. You sold me into Egypt. Now, therefore, be not grieved nor angry with yourselves that ye sold me hither. For God did send me before you to preserve life. How did he get that? He got it from the sovereignty of God. You see, God overruled those brothers. Verse 6, for these two years hath the famine been in the land, and yet there are five years in which there shall neither be earing nor harvest. And God sent me before you to preserve your posterity in the earth and to save your lives by a great deliverance. So now it was not you that sent me hither, but God. Here's how the sovereignty of God works. You sold me, but God sent me. You had evil intentions. You wanted to kill me and selling me was the only way to ease your conscience and getting rid of me forever but not having my blood on your hands and you sold me hoping that you would never see me again. Let me tell you something. God overruled your actions and God sent me down here because he was going to elevate me to this position so that I could save my family and sustain the promised lineage of God to bring the Messiah into the world and And that is how the sovereignty of God works. And again, I would point you to Joseph's own words because years later when Joseph's dad dies, his brothers are worried. Now dad's dead. Joseph's really going to get back at us. He didn't really mean what he said. He's been holding a grudge this whole time, and he's about to unleash the fury. And in Genesis chapter 50, verse 17, it says, So shall you say unto Joseph, Forgive, I pray thee, the trespasses of thy brethren and their sin, for they did unto thee evil. And now we pray thee, forgive the trespass of the servants of the God of thy father. And Joseph wept when he spake unto him. And his brethren also went and fell down before his face. And they said, Behold, we be thy servants. And Joseph said unto them, Fear not, for am I in the place of God? But as for you, you thought evil against me, but God meant it unto good. I'm telling you, Joseph understood the sovereignty of God and that's what kept him from getting away from God. That even though he had been betrayed by his brothers, even though he had been sold into slavery, even though he's been dealt a terrible hand in life, he didn't blame God. He understood the sovereignty of God, that God could take all those broken pieces and make a beautiful mosaic of his life uh, that was even more beautiful than the original. I believe... That one of the factors that kept Joseph near to God was that he held no resentment toward his brothers or toward the Lord. Let me tell you something. Resentment, it's a wedge. And it will not just drive a wedge between you and the person you resent. It will drive a wedge between you and the God you love. If you and I have a grasp on the sovereignty of God, we understand that that doesn't justify the evil actions of the people who hurt us. But it does mean that our God is bigger and that our God's love overrules the hatred of our enemies. Do you realize that our favorite verse to quote on God's sovereignty actually refers to our suffering on earth? Right. What's the favorite verse? It's Romans 8.28. And we know that all things work together for good to them that love God, to them who are the called according to His purpose. And then it goes a couple of verses and it talks about our calling. And it talks about how that calling is sure and how our future is settled. And It reminds us of the love of God. If He didn't spare His Son when you were an enemy of His, how shall He spare any good thing from you now? But can I read the context in which it's given? Because it goes on to say this. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or peril or sword? Listen to this next verse. As it is written, for thy sake we are killed all the day long. We are accounted as sheep for the slaughter. Nay, in all these things we are more, more than conquerors through him that loved us. We fast forward through verse 36. Rarely do we hear a sermon that exposits that verse. We put the focus on all things working together for good. We put the focus on nothing can separate us. We put the focus on we're more than conquerors. But in that text, he's saying, hey, look, you might be lined up like sheep for the slaughter. You might lose your life in following Christ. But know this, it will not separate you from me or from my love. That's a good God right there because he is preparing you and I for what we're going to face in real life. He's not selling us this fake plastic version of Christianity that if you love me and accept my son, I'll make everything peachy and rosy and you'll never have a bad thing happen in your life. He says, look, the bad stuff will come. There is a real devil. There is sin loose in the world. You might suffer some things, but know this. I am overruling and I will make it work out for your good and for my glory if you want to draw near to god like joseph through the difficulties of life then you must have a rock solid belief in the sovereignty of god would you bow with me